Well, this week, uh, we, we've gone one or two episodes. I've lost track the way that I work on these. But uh, why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Hi, uh, Michael. This is uh, Sina Sojudi. I am part of the product team for our cloud platform, uh, particularly focusing on um, data-intensive microservices. Mm. Now, what are, are you up there in Toronto, or do you just need to update Skype? No, I need to update Skype. I'm actually in San Diego. I've been here for, for the past wow. two and a half years. That's, that's like the opposite place. Yeah, that's not close at all. <laughs> how would you, a, a huge improvement weather-wise. <laughs> how, how would you compare the two cities? I mean, obviously the weather's different, but like, you know, I've only been to Toronto a few times, and uh, my feeling is that they must be booing up the, the bluegrass industry globally. Like you drive into that city and it's like full of these towers that are like just like total blue glass. It's a lot of condos and everything there. But I don't know what San Diego's like. How how would you compare the two? Yeah, uh, I mean San Diego. The best way I can describe it is every time I return home, I feel like I'm going on vacation, and I feel like I've heard this from other people mm. from San Diego. Like literally, it feels like that. It is uh, you know perfect weather, very scenic, and. Uh, just a nice place to to call home. Um, Toronto's an amazing city too. I have a lot of friends there, and you know, other than the weather, I think it's one of the greatest cities uh, I've ever lived in. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Yeah, you know, I, I I actually I guess I have been to San Diego many times now that I think of it. But I, I uh, we were there on a uh, a beach vacation. I forget which you know one one of the like long strips of lands with with uh, that actually had some civilization on it. It wasn't just like one big resort. But I remember I went into a Ralph's that they had there. And I was very excited because, you know, of course, uh, in, in the Big Lebowski, Ralph's is the only ID card he has. So I was like, I'm going to get me a Ralph's card. And then and then they were so overly helpful that they were like, no, 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 no. You don't need to get a Ralph's card. We'll just swipe the, the ones that we have at the register since you're out of town. And it was it was a f- bit of a letdown. But other than that, the vacation was great. Yeah, but, That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, so, I went to college in San Diego. And, you know, it's, it's about the same as here in Seattle where it's wow. like 50 and that would be an awesome town to go to college in. So nice. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they got if I, the, my last San Diego memory is at the convention center. You know, that's always they they give the uh, they give the retired people some stuff to do to keep them off the streets at, at conference centers every now and then. And if I remember, their their uniform is like this like uh, Easter egg colored pinky blazer that they wear, and it's just mm. uh, it kind of fits the whole vibe, I guess that's there. Yeah, I'm wearing one right now. So, funny enough, <laughs> trying to liven up the Pacific Northwest. Just bring bring <laughs> stand a, out like a sore thumb. Yeah. That's right. Not only should we eat salmon, but we should bedeck ourselves with that color. Just just to uh, as long as it's water <laughs> it retardant. Goes with everything. Yeah. So uh, so so we we're, we're going to talk about like uh, like data applications and data flows and data stuff. I, I uh, anyways, I, I won't I won't uh, spoil that topic too much. But before we get to that, let's uh, let's go over as always like a little bit of the news. So last week was uh, Google Cloud Next, which I guess is not to be confused with Google I/O, which which is fine. But you wrote you actually uh, conveniently wrote a summary over in your InfoQ sphere, uh, Richard. So why don't you give us a, a, a recap of what went on there? Yeah, I attended as well, which was fun to. Uh actually be at the event so yeah big event ten thousand plus people it was kind of you know google mashes together their kind of cloud stuff that we think of virtual machines and apps and data but also with all their businessy stuff so it's weird to have keynotes where at one hand you're talking about highly distributed databases and then you switch to hangouts like that's a weird thing for me to to get my head around but 
overall, tons of announcements. I summarized a handful of them. There's a a lot of really cool machine learning stuff that's starting to make its way into products. So it's not just, hey, person, figure out how to train models and use them. Instead, it's like, hey, we have some models so that you can actually take a picture of a credit card and we'll automatically redact all the, well, you know, we'll put a block over the number and the person's name mm-hmm. because we can tell it's a credit card or a social security card. So just a lot of really interesting machine learning services. Uh, a number of good app services, more data expansion, star data center expansion to three new spots, and then tons of enterprisey stuff, as you might expect as Google's trying to win enterprise. So interesting pricing schemes for kind of how do I do bulk discounts? How do I make sure that my support plan is somewhat predictable? So a number of really good things for enterprises trying to use Google Cloud. And they brought up some great customers, some of Pivotal's customers like HSBC and Home Depot and others who are doing some cool stuff in the platform. So I guess it's one of these, you can't sleep on Google. They're doing some great stuff in cloud and conference showed off a lot of good stuff. You know, I always find that phrase odd because the first thing I think of is like you were, if you were to, you know, uh, anthropomorphize Google as a person or maybe like a, maybe like, how do you say it in Lovecraft's world? One of those shoggles, like a gigantic blob that's ever morphing with lots of arms, whatever creature it would be. My first thought is that like you just physically get on top of Google and sleep on them. But I guess the point is you're, you're going to sleep while they're doing something, not that you're using them as a bed. But but I, I was thinking know, we were phrase. smothering them. Oh, the smothering. The true smother. But no, sure, I think it's probably not uh, <laughs> not sleeping while they go do great stuff. Mm. This is probably why I don't get as much done as I want a day is I spend like five minutes here and there thinking about <laughs> idioms too much. Uh, anyway, so now in the in the alphabet constellation of stuff, I guess I guess this is like the Google Enterprise Edition our edition division and and therefore that's why you see like uh their their slack attack and fig- and figuring out like hangouts and stuff better because it's right. all enterprisey stuff over there versus i guess android on its own and search and robots yeah so things with you know team drive so you can actually have organizations that share a drive and when one person leaves you don't lose all their documents or you know a number of things they put together to try to make even sure the document side that you know they're not super exciting part to tech geeks but how do i have document sharing and security policies and fun stuff like that on hangouts and drive and things like that but then also hey we also doubled the number of cores you can have in a virtual machine like these are weird things to say back to back I guess it works. Now, now, since since uh, since since of because of your background, special guest, what what do you think about all the machine learning data stuff in Google Land? And and let me let me ask the question and then make a statement to contextualize it. Like, I don't really uh, get what the deal is with machine learning. Like, I sort of understand what it is, but I'm always a little suspicious that it's one of those things where the press is like really overly excited to cover it and so it gets it gets a lot more coverage than maybe it deserves but i don't know maybe maybe it's just like maybe i'm i'm not seeing the i don't know forest for the machines but what like what what uh in the community of thinking about data and 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 all that kind of stuff like in analytics and stuff like what uh where does google fit into that yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk on that topic. Um, Google uh, is is obviously one of the pioneers in in, in machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, in terms of putting it into their products. Uh, if you think of the you know the the top uh, sort of five uh, giant uh, internet technology companies, Google was one of the first ones. And in fact, you know, just the cloud, you know, they 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 have actually invented and contributed as as pioneers to to the field. Um, so what they do and what they say is actually a, fairly important because they, they've invested so much into it and they've, they've succeeded with it. 
Um, one thing I, I, I've seen from Google that's unique is that while a lot of the other technology companies are trying to offer machine learning more as a sort of uh, off-the-shelf component through its APIs and whatnot that, that you know really do solve a problem when it comes to you know text search or or, um, or or things that are easy to sort of incorporate into your into your products, but Google's actually gone one step further where they're allowing or they're, they've pioneered this where they're allowing um, sort of custom-developed machine learning algorithms that a sort of in-house data science team develops to be also uh, get closer to production. And that's one of the first, um, uh, you know, real uh, projects that, that was open source and sort of opened the road to others. TensorFlow is, is, is a good example of that, um, where they're looking at this holistically. They think that, you know, you, you not only need to have hardware and compute for, for training models, um, they're also offering them, you know, out of the box uh, for for some of the sort of pre-made models that that you can use in your product, but also oh, right. helping their customers to, to also put their um, sort of machine learning trained models into production too. And they're they're offering software tools around that. And that's something that I think in the next, you know, two to five years is is gonna uh, is gonna bloom quite quite a bit in 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 you know the more leading enterprise uh, customers that they're gonna have. And and they do. I mean, to, to there's there's sort of two points you made in there that are interesting. Like one, all of their stuff. Maybe there's some open source things here and there, but it's basically as a service that that you have to use it, right? Or that they they would offer it. It's not necessarily behind the firewall. Right. They've versions. got they've got TensorFlow, which is the open source machine right, learning right. library you can run anywhere. But sure, a lot of this I think is trying to productize it because most sure. people are not data scientists. Yeah, so yeah, and, and 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 it, and then it seems like the other one that you're going over, Senior, is uh uh they have actual models, which, which I think, I think in the world of analytics is probably, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think, you think having the right kind of model is like more valuable than the actual technology that uses the model? Like it, I would assume not being sort of a data analytics person that it's more difficult to come up with the right model to solve a problem. And then, and then the actual like infrastructure, the actual sort of like code that does all the metaphoric crunching. I don't know if people still use that term is just sort of like, kind of dumb and brute forcey and like not that big of a deal compared to knowing what a, what a model is for something. Yeah. The, the models that they have or the ones that, that they're productizing as a service, you know, solve very specific sort of, uh, you know, problems, at least in, in that domain, they may be applicable to various industries, but you know, th this is the result of years of research that they've done in, in, you know, natural language processing, for example, or, or, or many other examples, the video, uh, um, sort of video uh, image detection uh, is an example where it's taken them probably quite a bit of effort to to uh, create. So um, you know, for for that to be offered as a service makes a lot of sense because not everybody needs to sit down and and, and do the same thing. So that model actually has a lot of value. Yeah. Uh, but when you talk about sort of domain specific models, things like you know fraud detection in in online transactions, um, those are things that. Um, you know, the domain changes quite a bit. Fraud detection for the IRS is very different than fraud detection for, you know, bank uh, that, that's trying to look at live transactions. All right. Same concept, but, you know, the actual models and the features and the algorithms differ. Um, and and that's, where, that's where the, you know, that, that's where it becomes interesting to kind of treat uh, model creation and model scoring and, and productization of that, just like any software. You know, you have custom off-the-shelf software, like a content management system that will be useful to a lot of people. And then you have, you know, apps that are written in Spring Boot by a company that actually is competitive advantage to them. And, and 
they're trying to cover both both sides, which is uh, or all, all sides, I should say, which is which is quite innovative. Yeah, yeah well, well, a, well, I was just say that's such an interesting point because they had some sessions there where they were trying to pr- exactly delineate that, which was saying, look, there's some training sets where we have tons of voices and we have tons of pictures of cats, and so we can actually, with really great accuracy, tell you this is a cat or that you said this certain thing. But there's plenty of domain-specific training sets that you have to apply to these models because we don't know your business domain. We don't know how you ship products. So I think that sometimes does get lost that you can't do everything as a service because the training set doesn't exist. And so that model does have to be defined in your domain. I think it's easy to conflate those two things. It's, it's cool that you called that out. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll have to uh, return a little bit to that, like how, how you take all this uh, the stuff we're talking about and apply it to uh, the big old fascinating enterprise space so that you, mm-hmm. can, uh, you can get your mortgages approved or, or, or whatever it is you may be doing in enterprise land other than figuring out if this photo is a dog or a polar bear or your child <laughs> or all three <laughs> that's that's right <laughs> Dad, and, and uh, the cat approves your mortgage yeah, whiz cat <laughs> yeah that's right whiz tensor cat yeah that's good uh so uh, also last week, I, I think I think uh, you know we we were I think if if uh, well not I think we were named uh, Google's uh, well at least this part of Google Google's partner of the year, which is exciting, and we do do a lot of work with them, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we have some stuff around. Uh, I think actually I have scheduled after this one to talk with my buddy and boss Andrew Schaefer, and maybe we'll talk about whatever that CRE stuff is. But uh, you know, there's all sorts of interesting stuff we're doing, but. Uh, that is, we pivotal, but also we we uh, we had an announcement of some of our momentum, uh, namely that. Uh, and tell me if I get this wrong. It's always dangerous to talk about revenue stuff <laughs> unless you're like a a triple certified accountant person, and and whatever. But like we said uh, that last year we had for Pivotal Cloud Foundry, not all of Pivotal, but we had two hundred seventy million dollars in bookings, uh, and then mm-hmm. I think I think we might have had a few new named customers, but. That was essentially, and I think there might have been some growth numbers thrown in here and there. But as Richard right. knows, uh, in addition to analyzing idioms too much, I, uh, I analyze being a former analyst and M&A person, I analyze revenue stuff too much. So it was exciting to get some more public numbers to, to put into my spreadsheet of other public numbers that have been put out. Yeah, I look forward to getting those Slack messages from you. Does this chart look right? Did I calculate this correctly? So, that was, <laughs> right. Great. I'm I'm sure I'm sure Richard's first thought is like, why does he think I would know? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun to finally share some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's hard to productize open source, and that's probably a whole other chat yeah. for us to have one day. That there's plenty of awesome open source that doesn't actually solve the product problem, or the company that's trying to sell it can't justify a, a charge for it. So. We've taken Cloud Foundry, which is sure publicly available, and turned it into a remarkable growth business on top of our data services and Pivotal Labs and other parts of Pivotal. I think it's a really cool story. I think you know James Waters like to say we're the fastest growing open source company in history. I don't know if that's true, but that sounds right, and that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's it's uh you know people often ask me to be a little uh, be a little Pivotal boosty like. What I like about working at Pivotal, and other other than uh, you know working with the people and and uh, and stuff like that, like it's uh, it's nice that we have like actual real customers. Right. <laughs> like like it's a little it's a little seemingly snarky to say that, but it's very enjoyable to have like so many uh, regular regular organizations to work with, as is evidenced by like our our sort of like momentum that we put out. And and I mention these two together because that's it's it's uh, you know as an analyst, you're always companies 
just like Pivotal and others, don't like to be extremely open, especially if they're private companies, about uh, sure. all of their customer count and revenue. So you're always trying to decode their actual momentum to kind of match the hypiness they talk about themselves. And I think I think putting out something like like uh, like even even your bookings revenue is just good evidence of that. So it's uh, I don't know, it's just a proof point yeah. along that line. And then and then I would also mention there's there's some mentions of uh, of our customers and what they do, but your uh, someone on your team, Richard, uh, it was John, right? Not Jared. I need to stop right. mixing those two up. But they they had a, a first post in their their series about um, I don't know what's the point. Of, what what is that the the arc of that series? I spend so much time looking at at each the content of them, I've forgotten the whole project. It's sort of like documenting out five five reasons Cloud Foundry is awesome, if, if I remember. And- well, uh, yeah, so this is John Allwright. And so he wrote, he's uh, second post in the series on kind of cloud native ops. There you and go, there you go. this idea of, you know, we spend so much time thinking about the app story, but the operation story is almost where you get the biggest change in efficiency because now you're able to serve so many more people at scale through automation. So yes. this kind of post looked at that some core reasons for that he's also going to be looking at the changes to an org structure and all these other sorts of where automation comes into play so it's a fun series so far that actually has got some uh, good play on social media yesterday thanks to an image from you that john put into the blog post so well played go yeah yeah and an image that i stole from someone internally so it's it's exciting to see the <laughs> chain of custody on uh, on such things but anyways the reason i bring that up is um in that post that i i embarrassingly exposed i, I haven't i haven't memorized the abstract for the series but that's incredibly accurate he actually does a good laundry list of uh several i think maybe four or five customers of ours and and the the benefits that they've gotten that uh yep. that that make them be part of that 270 million dollars in uh, in booking so it's a good it's yeah. a good roundup of of the before and after effect of uh to to the point of that series right like it is um i i think i think a lot of the operation story is is a little bit of a uh underneath the waterline of the iceberg if you will but it is like once you clear up all of that junk underneath the 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 big fat part of the iceberg you can focus on you know the part where you can breathe the air and do things it's a terrible metaphor hole That's i just went very down there visual. but anyways there, there's a tremendous amount of good uh, operation stuff that uh, that's in there, and so his his series is nice. Plus, there's there's you know again, what I like about all this momentum stuff is like more and more there's actual proof points and all sorts of metrics that uh, that this whole cloud native thing is actually panning out, which which is fun. So yeah, I mean, I'll point out. I, mean, I like your point there. If I put on the the pivotal booster hat for a second, you know, we did the I'm a pivot stuff. I think it was this mm. week launch as well and to, again to have one of the biggest banks in the world in city willingly want to do videos with us about how this transformation is happening or we spent time with some of our customers last week you know cote i spent time with our friends from home depot and we had express scripts and other other companies at google next and they spent a ton of time at our pivotal office or they would openly talk about their work with us so it is nice to work at a place where your customers actually like you yeah so so then just uh just minorly we we've talked about this a little bit on uh my my other main podcast, Software Defined Talk. Everyone should go listen to that, softwaredefinedtalk.com. It's fun <laughs> stuff and very, uh, very, what do they say in tweet? Tweets are my own opinion, not my employers. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't think of that as some official thing. Uh, anyways, there, there there's a bunch of uh, uh, like IPOs planned for like Okta and MuleSoft and Cloudera and I think I think some as as with all of this stuff, there's always some uh, in in the iBanker rush on either side. There there's either some planned or unplanned leaks that come out, and so we'll see how the numbers actually plan out. But hopefully, 
it'll be uh, an, an exciting year for people whose hobby is following computers, as as mine is, because I'm I'm thrilling at parties. Uh, <laughs> it'll be an exciting year for uh, for seeing what's going on there, uh, and 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 I put it that way because those are all in my mind infrastructure software companies, and not uh, what what was it you're saying, Wizcat? They're not Wizcat companies, <laughs> which are which are fine, but that's just not like yeah. my that's not my 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 bag of stuff. I'm not interested in the Wizcats. So you're tracking this space more. Are you seeing a pickup here? It just feels like I'm noticing more M and A IPO stuff yeah, yeah. in the last two months. Yeah, I think I think uh, I would have to go back to my my buddy Brennan at four five one and his team who tracks this stuff more. But like, it doesn't seem like over the past couple of years, like the infrastructure software space has been too too hot, as it were. I don't really know why that is, but uh, but yeah, there's a lot more uh, IPOs around. Like, I mean, I think last year. There were maybe like three to five like major ones, inclu- including like mm-hmm. Talend and like some other ones like that. But these are these are like larger companies. I mean, MuleSoft's been around since the mid two thousands. That have been around and Okta, kind of the same actually, and Cloudera as well. I mean, these are companies that have been uh, around for a while and therefore have had a lot of runway to figure out what their product is and build up their customer base and all of that. And so. I think it. I think it'll be interesting to like see what the financials are, and usually, what do they publish? Maybe three to five years in the past, because I'm always fascinated by like, um, for an infrastructure software company, like what what the speaking of models, what the shape of their finances look like to to fuel, uh, you know, their growth and revenue and things like that. And I think I think in particular, um, uh, I don't know about Okta. I mean, I mean. Octa's fine. We use it. It's not terrible. It seems to work. And I get to see those happy green pivotal people uh, every time I have to log in because uh, you can set your background. Um, but it's, it, I'm particularly <laughs> interested in like MuleSoft and Cloudera because they're, um, they're I don't know, they're basically middleware. I mean, Cloudera probably like it's, it's, it's also because it's data and big data stuff and also has the name Cloud and it's got all sorts of interesting stuff going for it. But it's interesting to see what a uh, uh, what the finances looks like for a, a middleware infrastructure company. Like I remember, <laughs> I don't know why I'm going on about this so much, but here I am. I remember when uh, <laughs> when New Relic and New Relic uh, and Splunk uh, kind of came out. It was interesting to see what since I used to program in the systems management space, what what a company like that looks like. So that's a long answer to your question. It should be fun, and it does seem like there's more more. Uh, more companies either trading hands like when app dynamics was uh, sold to cisco for something before ipoing mm-hmm. or or just ipoing it just gives you right. more visibility in, into what's happening yeah and then all these technologies are in disruptable spaces themselves if i'm allowed to, to use that i mean MuleSoft, the integration space is changing we're going to talk with cena about that today cloudera and hadoop is kind of going through its own thing right now so What's interesting is these, it seems like these windows for platforms to be dominant keep shrinking. So unless you keep evolving in some way, you might, sometimes you run the risk of IPOing too late or having already peaked. So it'll be fascinating to watch these companies reinvent themselves. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of that, let's go over to you, Sina. Like, what? Uh, give us give us a longer. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you're fascinating. We could talk about uh, introduction to yourself more and more, but but give us a, t- tell us like what what it is you uh, what it is you do around here, like the types of problems that you work on and and types of uh, products and things like that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, one of the things that you know we're starting to see um, 
as as our customers are, are trying to go through this uh, digital transformation, however you want to sort of categorize that and define what that means, uh, becoming more software enabled, becoming software organizations, becoming more data enabled and, and running their businesses on data. Um, I, I'm starting to notice a pattern, uh, which is pretty interesting because we've seen this pattern in, in, in regular sort of physical goods, um, you know, uh, marketplace and manufacturing and, and, and sort of distribution. Um, and that is to say, you know, for the for for a good while, in I'd say in the 2000s, at least after 2000, mid 2000s, um, where we sort of started to see enterprises really focus on their storefront. You saw responsive web and and all sorts of uh, different capabilities, mobile and and sort of your omni-channel presence of a, of an enterprise was was the key sort of focus for uh, for a lot of our customers and generally in an enterprise as a whole. Um, and and that I would sort of. Uh, compared to a, a, a storefront for, for a physical good uh, company, you think of PG&E or, or Gillette, um, how you sort of shelf that component and, and present it was, was where they saw the biggest gains in terms of, you know, uh, increasing revenue and, 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 and sort of becoming a, a, a more um, digital friendly enterprise. Uh, the next sort of momentum that we saw, and, and this, this I attribute um, the rise of Cloud Foundry to is, uh, where that sort of product got packaged and distributed, how you applied your sort of flavors of things and, and, and made um, applied your business um, in, in a digital fashion to the products that you were selling, whether that's an insurance company or a bank, uh, we're seeing a huge transformation in terms of how um, people are building their, their, their apps, their business applications. This is where you're effectively offering your, your uh, solutions, whether as APIs or as, as however you want to render that into your, into your storefront. And the third wave that has just begun, in my opinion, um, and, and this may have happened you know, for, for the Googles and the Microsofts a long time ago, but for a lot of enterprises is that sort of supply chain where the actual manufacturing of, of the data or the services are taking place. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing a, a trend where, where that supply chain, which I call data supply chain, is going through it, its own version of a transformation. Um, it's a little bit further from the user, but um, that's where a lot of the both cutting waste and savings are coming from, and also a lot of the uh, the new possibilities are being created. Um, so that's that's where I am really uh, focusing on these days, working with insurance companies, with financial services companies, um, and the like. Where you know when you look too deeply at any any enterprise today, most are not really selling physical goods. A lot of it is is data and insights and and decisions and actions that are that are driven from, from these type of uh, data processing and data analysis. And, and they're trying to see better ways of doing that so that they can deliver more value to their customers, but at the same time, um, you know, mitigate more risk and, and cut down some of the waste that goes inside that, uh, that data manufacturing processing um, uh, work, workflows that they're doing. So, so to get, get some, more, some more work out of you, like, give us give us some examples of like uh, what those applications are like. Like at the beginning, you know, uh, beginning of your explanation, you're going over how you can use um, some some analytics to figure out like you know uh, cons in the consumer goods industry, like you know shelf placement, all sorts of things that, as you say, like drive a decision of of what to do and how to present things. Obviously, to both retain and uh, and grow your revenue, I, I would assume that's what companies like to do. Um, but then, but then you mentioned a few things in the the financial sector and insurance uh, area, and I, I think it's always helpful to kind of like figure out and and hear examples of what those applications kind of are end to end, because I find that if you're not working on those, you know, to your whiz cat point, like you don't really realize how much 
custom written software there is out there for companies just to like run their business. So going back to my original uh, prompting, if you will, can, can you give us like a, you know, one or two examples of what these kinds of workflows, so to speak, are these businesses that are supported by the applications and, and how, how it's more than just like a really nice spreadsheet <laughs> that, that, that you're working <laughs> off of. Yeah. So let's, let's use insurance and this applies to, you know, car insurance, health insurance. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, a lot of the data uh, that, that the insurance companies actually sort of work based on is, is not necessarily what you go on a website and you enter and, and you sort of have in the transactional system. It actually comes sort of out of band from various sources, either purchased or sort of collected. Um, you know, insurance claims, for example, they they are put in by folks that are not necessarily behind a web portal trying to see whether they're covered or not. They're actually brought in by the doctors and and various exchanges, and that in in various places. Um, these companies, if you think about it, you know, as as their evolution has has gone, and we have customers in that in that domain particularly that that have done this. Um, you know, a lot of it was just ease of use for for their customers, and you you saw the various mobile applications and web websites sort of re recreations uh, that that came about, and and, and has helped a lot. Uh, and then you know the the sort of API economy sort of came 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 up, and and building custom software that that actually manages the the way uh, this information gets gets exposed to the consumers and and managed by the enterprise. The third step, as I'm calling for insurance company in particular, is actually the the act of processing those claims. Um, and correlating that with with you know various sorts of data, um, you know in in the in the home insurance uh, space, that data might be weather data. Uh, you know you are trying to claim uh, a a um, you know a claim that your roof caved because there was a hail that came through, uh, and and you know an insurance company or a company that supplies that information can actually cross correlate that data with with the insurance claim that are coming in, and also. Uh, the weather pattern, but weather data that's coming in for for that particular time to make sure that there's there's no uh, fraudulent claim being done. Um, so that that processing of the data, of the raw data into operational data and into insights, and, and running that in production and actually making decisions based on it, whether you sell those decisions or or you just sort of sell services on top of those, uh, is something that that's you know fairly key and critical to 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 enterprise as 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 we see it go through the the next few years. Um, that, that's, a, that's one example that I want to use. Uh, fraud detection is another one. Um, you know, banking, um, we sort of see the, the front end of that, the, the messaging that comes and says, hey, we notice you're in a different country. Um, you're trying to use this, you know, reply back. Um, that's, you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the consumer aspect of it. But there's a whole lot of data crunching that happens to try and detect, you know, whether that user was in that location, um, the pattern of spending, um, all sorts of different things that they can they can sort of look at and, and investigate. All that comes from being able to handle um, a lot of data processing, a lot of it in real time, but also in batch, and 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 being able to reason about that. Uh, and that process, as I'm finding, is hasn't necessarily gone through the same software evolution that that the sort of more upstream, closer to the consumer products have. And, and that's something that we're seeing a lot of customers come to us to ask for help because it's it's being sort of debilitating. Uh, so what's that making changes? Yeah, what's that look like today then, technology-wise? Is that mostly batch? Is it you know dealing with legacy flat files? Like how are, how are people dealing with that today if it hasn't gotten modernized? It, it's a combination of all. I mean, batch is the predominant sort of mode of operation, uh, but you know, in terms of how data actually comes in, there's a lot of FTP and RSync and 
and things that that you know you would pull your hair uh, thinking that can't possibly be. But um, as as sort of more data has come in, as more acquisitions have happened in a lot of these organizations, um, they've sort of lost a little bit of control over over how that data supply chain goes through. So there's a lot of work that just needs to be done in in getting the house in order. And the next step would be you know making actual use of that data in a more real time way, and then going up the chain and, and getting more into analytics and and actually putting that. Um, insights into action and, and closing the loop. Wow did you did um, so you did you say rsync? Isn't that like what you uh, use to move your uh, your what, what was the old uh, your Usenet stuff around or something? That I guess that's something else. But wow, rsync is that's good times. Yeah, I I hear that a lot. Actually, like I, I use I say even rsync, and people start laughing in my conversations, saying, "No, no, don't say even." Like that's that's pretty ubiquitous in a lot of the, <laughs> right. the, the organizations that that I talk to. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the cost of that? So, I mean, if somebody, you know, is nowadays, is that speed unacceptable? Or obviously it's still tolerable because those companies make billions of dollars. But what, what's the opportunity cost of not having that data accessible more in real time or having even mythical machine learning applied to it to make decisions? Is there an impact here? Well, yeah, the, the impact is actually much lower level. I mean, forget about machine learning. And, and, and you know, that's, that's what gets me really excited on, on helping these companies sort of realize more value from their data. But uh, a lot of the conversations just, you know, not even being able to, you know, inject new data. I mean, we're, I've, I've talked to um, customers who, who really say, you know, just bringing a new uh, data set, uh, and, and this is not necessarily a new sort of exotic data set like sensors, just you know, the same data set, but from a different source, more or less the same structure, takes months. Uh, and, and, you know, in the DevOps, uh, we talk about, you know, weeks to months of, of, of making a change. Um, some of these are facing, you know, months to years to, you know, never being able to actually change something because it's too complicated, too risky, too monolithic to change. Uh, and, and they're losing customers. I mean, I have customers who are the monopoly on certain data. And yet they're losing customers because they're not able to make changes to that uh, to that data processing pipeline that they have. And, and, and that that actually is, you know, tens to hundreds of millions of dollars of of revenue lost just on that. Forget about any any intelligence that you can build on top of that, which everybody wants. Uh, I think just even getting integration uh, solved is going to be a huge, huge um, uh, opportunity for for these companies to realize. Yeah, when we were when we were uh, it must have been a month ago now when you were uh, helping school me up on this for uh, for some people I was talking with about a month ago, I think and and you you've kind of gone over it, but that's that's what started to get me uh, even more fascinated in this kind of, for lack of a better phrase, you know, just sort of how how data is 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 running through and driving your business because you know the examples you went over and other ones are. Uh, it's very core to like we have a business process like insurance and uh, paying out claims when something happens, and that's like one of the core parts of the business. I, I assume an insur- another core part of insurance business is how you invest that money and like make make your percentage points on like the whatever they call it, the carry of all that cash you have. But whatever. Um, but paying out claims and avoiding fraud there, but then also generally paying them out in a way that makes people happy so they don't leave you <laughs> and they don't think you're scoundrelous, if that's a word, uh, is extremely important. And so it's, it's, it's an example of what we talk about all the time is that if you want to have like a programmable business, you need to have all of the agility and speed and, and rich feedback loops that comes with a, a DevOps and a cloud native and an agile approach. 
And so like you were saying, if, if you're stuck with a bunch of rsync and flat files and weird batch things that you really, that takes you three, six or more months to change or modify, that has a direct effect on your ability to evolve the business essentially. And uh, I mean, I mean, probably as with all things I come up with, there's actually a quick workaround for it. But I would imagine if you're an insurance company and you want to make it so that uh, so that a, a claimant or whoever the people that come inspect your 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 car, like if they could just take photos with their iPhone and submit that to you, that probably takes some modification to your workflow. And you know, having increasing that speed and accuracy of that information in your process probably is great for the business if they're not stuck with a monolithic system that they uh, they can't adjust too well. So, I mean, anyways, the, the the way that all this seemingly boring stuff of workflows and data collection and analysis, like, I mean, the word workflow just makes most people fall asleep, but it actually turns out that's the way a tremendous amount of businesses operate. And and I forget the, the three or four things you said, but it's just like getting all your data in front of you to help basically drive a decision uh, about doing something very tangible to your business. And then all of the all of the workflow around that seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of what we're talking about here. And then and then so to that point, um, it seems like I mean, what we're driving up to and tell me how this kind of fits in is it seems like for many businesses, like you can't really get off the shelf stuff to do all of that. You really do need to work on your own custom written, not only the way you handle data, but the software, the applications around it that uh, that are facilitating all of that. Right. Um, I think, you know, you, you nailed it on the head and I, I don't want to you know dismiss the the real problems. Not not everybody has an R-Sync problem. Not everybody, you know, some, some people <laughs> right. actually have that ingestion figured out pretty well. But one thing that's happened, and, and this is sort of the, the if you look at history of any monolithic system, why, why systems become monolithic is that, A, the tool that they use worked. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you kind of start putting more and more faith in it and you, you start putting a lot of faith into it and you just kind of bloat it with a whole lot of stuff that now is sort of so tightly coupled that you can't change. And, and that monolith in, in the data organizations that I see is bigger than the app monoliths that, that we typically deal with. Yeah. Uh, and that could be, you know, a database, uh, that could be, you know, your, your you know, ingestion pipelines, the ETL tools that you use. All of them are, are great. None, you know, this is not a ding on, on, on the tools, but, but rather what has actually happened, what has transpired as, as, as that tool has become successful. So an innocent tool like you know a stored procedure in, in a database that actually serves a, a, a very legitimate purpose is has, has been adopted by many of you know our customers as, as a way to kind of do everything in data processing so what happens is at some point that poor database is not able to scale vertically anymore uh, and you need to sort of you're not getting an elastic scale out of it but also making any changes you know everybody's sort of holding their their fingers crossed making sure that you know, integrity of that data is, is, is kept, that the performance is not is not reduced. And you have to bring in these experts that are trying to constantly make um, that system, you know, be more and more efficient. Um, and, and being able to break that down into a an architecture where, um, you know, you can have proper contracts, language agnostic contracts between these components and have different teams work on those components without worrying about breaking, you know, changes down the stream and having that DevOps uh, practices being brought into that data preparation, data engineering practices um, helps in, in a tremendous way. So, so, but before we wrap up, I mean, just briefly tell us, like, other other than uh, having having consultative help from folks like yourself to kind of explain this and 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 help people with the 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 architecture stuff. Like, what are the actual like products and services that we uh, we bring into this area? 
Right. How do we actually make life better in any way <laughs> here to help out? Yeah. So on, on the product side, um, you know, the, the, there is a generally a glue framework for, for building uh, applications. And, and what I'm trying to argue here is that data architecture is, is no different. It's just a, a tenet of, of, uh, of, um, of application architecture, of, of software architecture. Um, it's no different. You have to really look at what the outcomes are and what the, con what the context and the boundaries are, and, and you have to kind of define that architecture. Um, a tool that, that we recommend um, in our open source sort of chest is, is, is Spring, and particularly Spring Cloud Dataflow's ecosystem. It allows you to sort of build these data pipelines uh, in, in a very agile, composable fashion. And you can apply the same sort of software engineering practices like test-driven development, you know, contracts, um, you know, CI, CD, and apply that to, to these big monolithic systems. Now, um, on the services side, we also realize that you can't make these changes in a big bang fashion. Um, and you guys have had Dino on, the, on, on one of your sessions, maybe it was the last one. Um, the same concepts of strangling the monolith and, and, and making a migration towards a more cloud-native way of building these, these tool, tools uh, and, and components uh, apply here. You, know, you probably won't be able to drop uh, everything that you've done and say, you know, from today on, all of my, you know, multi-decades of work that's gone into these data manufacturing pipelines are going to be put aside and I'm going to recreate them in a cloud-native way. No, that's not possible. So how do you go about um, changing that, strangling that monolith and extracting uh, the pieces that that are uh, uh, you know high value, high you know prone to change, and you can basically uh, rewrite those in in a, in a more cloud native way and kind of work your your way through. So the products, you know, Spring Cloud Dataflow, um, caching, you know, um, the Pivotal Cache and, and and Gemfire have a huge influence on, on moving these uh, pipelines into real time and 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 helping downstream products connect to these data in a much more easier way. And as you go up the chain, you know, in terms of, you know, bringing more value and insights, we also have that our, you know, BDS suite and analytics products that, that can help uh, integrate that, that insights into your, into your running applications and, and exposing that as, as, uh, as, as either decisions or as, as byproducts or uh, uh, the, the data that's, that's sort of uh, a byproduct of, of your raw data that you can basically bring, bring into, your, into your consumers. So you're seeing practically see you know, that that companies that do have some of that legacy heritage and they're dealing with nothing but batch that they they see a path forward with some of these more modern data pipeline tools that's not a bridge too far that's not too mind-blowing you know not because they can't grasp the tech but because they're thinking how do i morph a bunch of etl or even esb processes or stored procs into this sort of decoupled data pipeline that's is, you're seeing people jump on that yeah, when, when there's a business need behind it, it makes it a lot easier to make that jump. If, if we go to an ETL team and say, hey, here's a new tool, use this, that, that conversation doesn't go very far because people generally like the tools they use and, and, and you know, they're, they're familiar with. But when you go to a business uh, team that actually has a need that requires this change, it becomes a lot easier because you focus the attention on the pieces of the problem that, that, are, uh, you know, that, that need to change. And, and that doesn't usually need doesn't need a, a complete overhaul of the system. Um, you can start small and you can, you know, start carving pieces out that, that you want to bring into more, more flexible, more agile, more cloud native way. Makes sense. Thanks. So, so if people wanted to uh, dig deeper into this, do we have, uh, I don't know, do we, do we have, do we have some, I don't know, at least blog posts or, or overviews or uh, keynotes or, or no, keynotes, recorded presentations? Like what do you think a good source is to, to dig more into all that? 
Yeah, so we're working on, on, on a lot of this stuff. I mean, there, there's th this is not a this is not an adopted pattern, uh, you know. So the 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 information is is a bit scarce. But if you look at our, uh, you know, a lot of the conversations around a lot of blog posts around Spring Cloud data flow, they usually start with you know proving the the uh, the, the problem and, and and talking about how you can solve this. So I would say all the blog posts in, in the Spring community about Spring Cloud Dataflow sort of apply here. Yeah. Um, also, our team um, has has done quite a bit of work on talking about you know microservices and 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 you know this concept of data microservices or as I call it data intensive microservices. We have a we have a bunch of blog posts about that uh, that that really try to describe you know this problem and and, and ways of, of approaching it and how to how we can solve it with. Uh, Generically, with with architectural patterns, but also specifically with the tools that we recommend. Well, I'll have to get some uh, some links for you to put in the show notes. And I think I think uh, I forget if it needs to be uh, uncon un unconfidentialized. Do you have another experimental word here? But uh, you, I think you have a pretty good before and after visual of going from your uh, your your efficient but archaic rsync architecture to a uh, more <laughs> cloud native architecture, which, which would be interesting. Well, thanks for being on. I think uh, just like when, when we were talking about a month ago, I always like to find people who can uh, kind of explain how, how a space is evolving. And I think, I think we did a good job of that and, and I appreciate it. So if people want to, uh, I don't know, figure out what kind of uh, cats you're playing with in Twitter, do you have, do you have some where they can follow you there? Or are you more of a LinkedIn person? Where, where should people go if they want to check you out? Yeah, uh, at Sino so Judy is my my Twitter handle. I'm also uh, on on LinkedIn as well. Sino so Judy. Um, there's fortunately not that many of them out there, so it's I'm pretty <laughs> easy to find if you know my last name and first name. Uh, yeah, happy to engage with with uh, with folks uh, on on either platform. Well, perfect. Well, I have one little uh, mid rolly ad thing to put in here. So we've got the the Cloud Foundry Summit coming June 13th and 15th. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we were, we were, uh, delightfully, uh, can be bloviating and everything about, about how awesome the cloud pivotal and the cloud foundry world is. And the cloud foundry summit's great. Cause there's everyone from the broader cloud foundry, uh, world comes in and there's always a lot of, uh, the schedule is going to be announced sometime later this week, I think, but there's always a lot of customers talking about how they're using it at the, the high business level and plenty of technical conversations as, as well going on. And, and we and everyone else will be there from the, uh, from the big dirty machines to the, uh, the slick, uh, whiz cats and everything in between your, your insurance claim <laughs> processing things. And if, if you want to, uh, I have a 20% off registration code, I guess it's cloud foundry, Silicon Valley. So hence this ornate code, which is CFSV 17 C O T E my name there, but I'll put a link in the show notes and you know, you can get twenty percent off, whatever. That's uh, a good show. We're actually leading. Uh, I'm the chair for our Java track for, this, oh, yeah. for the summit. So lots of tons of great submissions. They had over four hundred conference submissions. So it's brutal trying to pare this down. It's it's going to be a great program. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, past guest Kenny and uh, Josh will have their book out. At least uh, I know you can get some samples of cloud native Java, but I know it'll be a, an exciting relief for them to have it uh, actually finished uh, finally. That'll be good stuff. That's right. I'm sure we'll have all the other great little O'Reilly books. You can, uh, you know, those are fun. Well, as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. If you want to get the most up-to-date podcast, because we kind of lag posting the official show notes, because we just, because Richard's always hoisting so many of these on me to do. Just real task driver, that guy. Uh, anyways, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. And there you can find the RSS feed to subscribe to it. You can also find it in iTunes and probably other places. 
but you should really just subscribe to it. Now, while you're in your iTunes or even your Overcast, you should leave us a star rating or a, a review comment. I think there might be one in there. So you could be the glorious second person. You know, Apple didn't really invent the mobile phone, but they're now number one because they were second. So you could be that person, except there's probably no revenue associated with it, just making us happy. And to find the show notes uh, when we get around to posting them, you can go to pivotal.io slash podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.